You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and let's let's listen to that for a little bit. Ah, that's right, Bears fans. We got a bear down because the Chicago Bears are in the hunt somehow, some way at five and eight. The Chicago Bears are in the hunt. Big guest today, Adam Johns, Hogan Johns podcast and The Athletic. He's going to be stopping by here in just a little bit. Plenty to get to with Adam about how much this season has pivoted the last couple weeks. But but we're going to talk about it here. Let me let me get some thoughts on the table before Johnsy joins the podcast. Because look, you if you've been listening to this podcast, you know my criticisms of Matt Eberflus and this team. Overall, you know them, you've heard them, but do have those all dissipated? No, they haven't all dissipated, but right now I am stirring the marinara, I am boiling up the pasta, and I am going to enjoy being a meatball because just why not enjoy it? Why not embrace it? Why not love the fact, you know, and if they run the table and go nine and eight and I have to sit here on a podcast in January and go, I was wrong Bring it. I'm good to be right with everything I say to have some sort of fulfillment. I want to enjoy a good football team. So if they're going to go out and try and prove me wrong for the month of December and into January, let's do it because this Chicago Bears team is humming right now. They are humming because this defense is playing lights out. It has been building up to it and building up to it. And there's plenty of reasons why you can get into it. Was Allen Williams calling bad games? based on the vanilla defenses from last year and his vanilla defense against Green Bay and really Tampa. I know he was not there for Tampa, and, and Eberflus called that game, but that was that was Allen Williams' game plan. Allen Williams wasn't putting together a great game plan. So was that part of it? Yeah, that, that might have been part of it. Matt Eberflus kind of coming into his own as a play caller and, and you know wiping the, the cobwebs off the calling plays and getting in rhythm. Did that matter? That may have mattered. Phil Snow coming in and helping with advanced scouting. Does, does, does that make an impact? Is that something that Matt Eberflus didn't have time for or was struggling to do? Alan Williams maybe wasn't good at it. And here comes Phil Snow, and he's been excellent at it. We don't know. Phil Snow's behind the scenes. But Phil Snow came in right before that first Vikings game, and that defense has been pretty damn good since that first Vikings game. Montez Sweat, him coming aboard. Ryan Poles getting all sorts of criticism 
about giving up a second round pick and paying this guy $25 million. In fact, you still saw a couple guys criticizing that move, you know, this week. These are clearly guys that are just looking at numbers and not looking at the actual gameplay because Montez Sweat, you know, in the old the terms, you know, being a multiplier is him not just bringing his play to the field, but elevating the play of those around him, right? We're seeing better play from Demarcus Walker. Definitely seeing better play from Jervon Dexter. Ngakwe looks a little better the last couple games here. So this whole defensive line has been transformed by Montez Sweat. And when the defensive line is transformed and there's less traffic for the linebackers to deal with, suddenly Tremaine Edmonds, who you know I've been pretty critical of, not crushing like he's playing poorly, but that he's not living up to the contract, suddenly Tremaine Edmonds really making an impact. I thought Tremaine Edmonds had his best game of the season. Maybe not as many splash plays, but he was where he was supposed to be. He was making tackles. He really... I just liked his performance against Detroit there. I, you know, so I think, you know, TJ Edwards has been great all year, but suddenly, you know, Montez Sweat comes, makes the rest of the defensive line better. The defensive line makes the linebackers better. And then suddenly, because the front seven is playing so much better, they, they match up with the secondary that was already playing well when healthy. This whole team is healthy right now. And this defense is really coming into its own. Then you pair that on the offensive side of the football with an offensive line that has been mostly healthy for the most part the last you know few weeks. And because they've been mostly healthy, this offensive line is finally getting reps together. Let's not forget that it was weeks and weeks into the season because Tevin Jenkins missed the first few weeks when the rest of them were mostly healthy. And then you had Braxton Jones out. Nate Davis was dealing with his personal issue. Then Nate Davis gets a high ankle sprain. So we're talking about, you know, after, what was it, the Panthers game where, and Justin Fields came back, where finally this team, the offensive line was finally getting to play together. So now they get to play together for a few weeks in a row, really, again, for the first time, basically, ever. And offensive lines, need, they, you need to know what that guy next to you is going to do. You have to have a feel for it. You have to have that teamwork and how to work together. And, and now the Bears are getting that. So the offensive line continues to improve. I think you're seeing Justin Fields trust his offensive line for the first time in his career. And, and sure, it's going to hold. It's going to lead to him holding onto the ball a little too long again, as we know Justin likes to do. But because he trusts it, he's staying in the pocket. He's stepping up in the pocket. He is not bailing just because he sees some, you know, an opposite jersey color out of the corner of his eye. So Fields is there, and he's being able to deliver the ball with more confidence, step into throws, do the right things. Now. Justin Fields is still up and down. Luke Getze is still up and down. But I will say this for Luke Getze. And while I hated the DJ Moore fourth down play where he, he ran the ball to DJ Moore, why he keeps taking the ball out of Justin Fields' hands on important short yardage situations where just let Justin, give you want to make it an option play? Give Justin Fields a chance to make the play himself. And if it is completely shut down, then he can do something else with the ball, pass it, throw, you know, pitch it, whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that DJ Moore is not great. The play, the sweep to DJ Moore, the, in essence, the quarterback keeper sweep that he did with the fake to Justin Fields may have been the best executed play in the history of Luke Getze's offense here in Chicago. And I'm not kidding. It, the offensive line was perfect. The execution with Fields the, the confusion in the defense of not sure what was going to happen. They were all focused on fields. 
And there goes DJ Moore. It was a great play. So was the fourth and 13 play. We'll get to that here in a second. But I thought Luke Getze had his best game of the season as a play caller. I really liked the rhythm of the offense and how everything was moving. And for the first time, maybe ever, I kind of felt like Luke Getze and Justin Fields were on the same page. And we haven't seen that. So you you know me, I've said that the, their relationship felt untenable a couple weeks ago. But it felt pretty good against Detroit. Now, we're going to see if that continues. It may have been an anomaly. But, you know, so far, so good in that regard here for, for the finish of the season. Because, again, things are coming into place. And you got to give Matt Eberflus credit for a guy who doesn't want to give Matt Eberflus any credit, not just for the turnaround on the defense, but because he kept this team together. And I don't, you know, again, we see him on the press conferences and he looks a little lost and he's not an order. And it's tough to take sometimes. He, you know, he just fails to just answer a simple question where the answer's obvious, right? Like the, the media's leading him to water and all he's got to do is drink. And he he decides that he's not going to drink and he's going to turn around. And it doesn't even make any sense, some of the things he says up at the podium. So he's frustrating. There's no doubt about it. And the in-game decisions, you know, again, like kicking the field goal to go up 12 to 15 on, I think it was fourth and two in the red zone. I said, they go, what are you doing? Who cares if you're up 12 to 15? You know, maybe he was having PTSD because they lost by 12 last time, but, you know, to Detroit, but you're up two scores. You're still up two scores. Go for the kill. And you, how many times do I say I'm conservative with, with how, what I want to do? But in that case, it doesn't make any sense to go up 12 versus 15 when you're that far. You know, you're not at midfield. You're, 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 you're not even at the 35-yard line. You're, you're in the red zone. Get go for it. Get the first down. If you don't get the first down, they got 93 yards to go or whatever the heck it is. You know, give your team an opportunity to go out there and make a statement. And I did not like kicking the field goal there. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. So Matt Eberflus, kind of the in-game decisions and the clock management, that's not there. Maybe that'll never get there. But, you know, Matt Eberflus, in terms of how the roster views him, clearly they've been behind this guy. When, when this team started off as bad as it did and, you know, 0-4 with that horrible loss to the Broncos and then Justin Fields gets hurt, like, it was really easy for this team to just be like, this guy, if, screw it, right, and just quit. We saw that with Matty, with Matty we saw that with Mark Tressman. That team had had it with Mark Tressman. They quit. I always say, if you can find it, I don't know if it's on YouTube, go find that Bears-Cowboys game from late November or early December, whatever it was, back in 2014 that defense quit you i remember there was a touchdown a touch the, the cowboys had a touchdown run maybe a 15 yard touchdown run i don't know if marion barber was was the runner then i don't remember but at, at that point that touchdown run you just saw bears standing where even a, a small bit of effort they could have made the tackle just standing and watching this running back zip by him that's quitting that's what that bears team did because they could not stand Mark Tressman. He was awful for the roster for the locker room. Matt Eberflus, you got to give him credit, clearly has not been. Now, before we get into Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields and kind of talk a little big picture, because we've got to do it, let's just kind of embrace the playoffs right now, as I was talking about, because let's go full meatball, let's dive in, let's enjoy that the Chicago Bears have got themselves in the hunt. And is it a joke to be in the hunt when you're five and eight? Yeah, it is. I get it. But because of the schedule is what it is, the Chicago Bears do have a legitimate chance 
to at least be 8-8 eight eight going into the Green Bay game, the last game of the season. And if that's the case, if the Bears are 8-8 eight and, eight and a win can get them into the playoffs, and the Packers, whether maybe they maybe the Packers are 8-8 eight and, eight and they need a win to get into the playoffs, or perhaps the they, they've won a couple more games, Detroit fell, fell back again a little bit more because we know Detroit's not playing well right now and the Packers have a chance to win the division, so that's on the line. Who knows what's going to be? But if there's important football on the line for these teams... NBC is going to love to grab Bears-Packers for Sunday Night Football in Week 18. It's a strong possibility if the Bears can win the next three games. Now, you can have almost an expectation the way this team is playing that they're going to beat Arizona and probably Atlanta, especially with the fact that Atlanta does not have a quarterback, and we see, even when this team wasn't playing well, that they can frustrate bad quarterbacks. So, with that in mind, if you consider that they will probably win those two games. This Cleveland game, this this is the fulcrum point of the season now. They, they've got themselves back into it. They have this game on the road against a, a really good defense that is struggling. They have been struggling the last few weeks. Go look it up. I think 28 points a game roughly the last four or five weeks of the, of the season. They have not been playing that well defensively. Miles Garrett's been banged up. He hasn't been his full self. That's certainly been part of it. And an offense now that looks better with Joe Flacco. But again, this is Joe Flacco who was out of the league and was resurrected a couple weeks ago to try and save Cleveland because they didn't have a quarterback. So this Cleveland team is a beatable team. You got to go on the road. Cleveland's not an easy place to play. The Chicago Bears do that. And I, for the first time in a long time, I have a good vibe about this team going into this game. You know me, I pick against this team basically every week. But... This time, I, I really think the Bears have a really good chance of winning. And you win this one, all bets are off. Because you got two really winnable games. The Bears are going to be favored in those two games. That's that's wild, right? They're going to be favored to end up being 8-8. Eight and eight. And then if you're 8-8, eight and eight, like I said, you go into that Packer game in, in, in Week 18, and anything can happen. But if they lose this game to Cleveland, like I went on NFL Schedule Predictor on, on the web, 8-9, and nine, like I'm telling you, you cannot... You, Unless you start having horrible football teams beat good football teams, you cannot find a path for the Bears to get into the playoffs at 8-9. They don't have enough tiebreakers with the cert with these certain teams. There's too much clutter. There would be a ton of teams tied at 8-9. You know, when you get into further down in the tiebreakers, there's something called strength of victory. And it's like, did you beat good teams? Like, the teams you beat, what's their record? Not strength of schedule strength of victory who did you beat and the chicago bears let's be honest beating detroit once beating cleveland because at that point they would have been beaten cleveland and cleveland may finish with you know eight nine you know wins at, at this point they're not going to have a good strength of victory so they're going to lose a lot of tiebreakers so they need to get to nine wins they have to run the table three and one the rest of the way is not going to cut it so don't sit there and say, oh, well, they lost to Cleveland. They could win the next three, and maybe they'll get in at 8-9. They're not going to get in at 8-9. They have to be 9-8. And even if they're 9-8, when I was playing with Schedule Predictor, there's a lot of scenarios where they still don't make it at 9-8. Start cheering against the L.A. Rams. I'll tell you that right now. Start cheering against the Rams because they, they kept being a thorn in the side of the playoffs with the 9-8 Bears. I can tell you that. So when you look at this situation... It comes down to this Cleveland game. They lose to Cleveland. I, I, it sounds crazy, but this is a week-to-week -week league. 
They beat Cleveland. I'm going to be stay full gung ho. I'm going to be in the in the in the marinara sauce, swimming around, enjoying the meatballs. But they lose this Cleveland game. I'm going to have zero motivation. I'm going to want them to lose to Arizona. I don't think they will. But I'm going to want them to lose out, get the best draft pick possible, and just blow out Matt Eberflus and, and and let's go from there. That's how important this Cleveland game is in my eyes. This is a fulcrum point of the season. This is push for the playoffs. Or this is, no, this is still a team that won a game. Good for them. They're playing a little better, but it's still not good enough. That's where we're at here with this game. I think this game is that important for the future of the Chicago Bears. And then, therefore, you would say for the future of Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields. So let's get into it then. Before we get to John Z, let's talk a little bit about the future of Eberflus. I guess Getze and Justin Fields. And when we first talk about Matt Eberflus, I'm actually going to bring up a point that my brother, my brother's a big sports fan. You know, we're both from Chicago. He still lives in the area. What he said. And he brought up this point. I haven't heard anyone else bring up this point, and I really liked it. So you go back, rewind the clock for the Chicago Cubs. And I think it was the 2013 Chicago Cubs. They won like 65 games. They bring in a new manager. They bring in Rick Renneria. And Rick Renneria, I think, won 73 games. Like an eight-game improvement. That's pretty darn good. That's a step in the right direction. And not only did they, you know, improve that much, but they also went 31-28, and 28, I believe, the last, you know, 59-60 games of the year. So they were an above 500 team. That is a big improvement for what this team was. It's like the, the rebuild was turning the corner. And the Chicago Cubs went out, and Theo Epstein said, Rick Renneria is not a guy who's going to be hoisting up a World Series trophy. Joe Madden is. So he fired Rick Renneria unfairly. And the Cubs just did it again with David Ross. Give him credit there. They didn't think Ross was going to be good enough, so they went out and got Craig Council. But Rick Renneria was fired unfairly after one season and did a good job for one season because there was an opportunity to get Joe Madden. Now, in this analogy, Joe Madden would have to be Jim Harbaugh. You know, Ben Johnson's an unknown. You know, Shane Waldron, Bobby Slowick. You know, we, we, we've seen all the, all the possible names. But Jim Harbaugh is that guy. I, I, you know, and again, I've said, if we get to coaching change and we get into, you know, potentially Jim Harbaugh, I'll talk more about my thoughts on Harbaugh. Don't need to get it right now. But all I'm saying is, if the Chicago Bears, if Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren can't see Matt Eberflus as the guy at the podium after, you know, after the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl, they don't see him as that guy, then you need to make a change, even if it's unfair to Matt Eberflus. That's it in my eyes. Now, Bears fan may be sitting there going, no, they're, they're pretty good, and pretty good is good enough for me. If that's your thought process, then yeah, you may want Matt Eberflus. And of course, you're going to want to keep Justin Fields, but... Is that group enough to win a Super Bowl? And if that's your goal, then you really have to evaluate it as such. Theo Epstein's goal was to win a World Series, not be good for several years in a row. There's a difference. And I'm not saying that Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, and Justin Fields can't be that Super Bowl trio, but that is what Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren need to evaluate this offseason. And again, if they go 4-0 and run the table, 
all bets are off. Matt Eberflus isn't going anywhere. I don't think Justin Fields is going anywhere. That, that, the whole aspect of everything changes. But if they lose just one game, like I said, I don't think they can get into the playoffs. So then you look at this evaluation process. So let's assume they lose at least one game. They miss the playoffs, and now you've got to do this evaluation. Is Matt Eberflus, and it's a tough evaluation because last year they tanked games. We know it. We know they didn't have a plan to win. They were tearing down the roster. They traded Roquan. You know, they, they traded Robert Quinn. I know they brought in Claypool. But besides that, I mean, Byron Pringle and Dante Pettis and ESB were the top targets, especially after Mooney got hurt. There just was not a plan to have a lot of talent on the field, right? It was the first year of a rebuild. They were tearing down the roster. So if you put that aside, you know, now again, you can evaluate it and say they didn't overachieve. There are certain things you could do. But if you just put that aside, then I think it's important for Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren to go, we need to evaluate the whole season, not the hot finish. Because I'll tell you what, if you decide to retain Matt Eberflus and next year this team is unprepared in September as they were last year, then this hot finish isn't going to mean jack squat because you're going to be in the same position. You start off 0-2, 0-3, 0-4, and then you have to try and battle back, and they haven't gotten any better, even if it's a better team. So what happened at the start of the season? Why were they so bad? They were unprepared to play football. I don't think anyone can look at it any other way. The, the coaches were unprepared. The players were unprepared. They, lo- they didn't look like a professional football team. They weren't a serious football team. Just remember how bad things were in September. Now, because of how bad they were in September, you certainly give Matt Eberflus for turning things around, but you can't ignore it, Right? Like, if you look at a, a kid, right, a high school student, and he's, play, he's doing his, his, his trigonometry for the, for the year, and in, you know, September, he got Fs on his tests. In October, he started getting Cs. In November, he got some Bs. In December, he got some As. And you're sitting there going, wow, you know, little, little Maddie here, he did a hell of a job getting better on his trigonometry throughout the, the semester. And maybe you grade him a little higher because when you grade all his test scores, from you got F's at the beginning and A's at the end, you just got a C, and maybe you want to give him a C plus or a B minus because of that improvement, but you still don't give him an A. You don't just grade him on December, you grade him on the full semester. So we have to keep that in mind with Matt Eberflus's evaluation. And I'm curious what Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles are going to do. And of course, that brings us to the quarterback and Justin Fields. And I will say this again, because I'll be honest, the toxic responses... I got from you Bears fans. I'm not necessarily saying maybe you are listening to this podcast and you did it anyway. The, the responses to a tweet where I just said, it is okay if you are a fan of Justin Fields and you like him and cheer for him and you expect him to continue to improve, but you understand that there is probably a likely chance, I think I said more likely than not, that Ryan Poles moves on from Justin Fields after this season because of the business of the NFL. That was my tweet. You would have thought I just tweeted a picture of, you know, me, you know, of a video of me lighting a picture of Justin Fields on, on fire while giving him the bird. I mean, calm down. How many times did I say, I, and that was an hour after I tweeted out the fact that since week four, he's sixth in EPA CPOE composite in the entire NFL. 
Like, I'm trying to give a balanced look here at the quarterback. And, and, and to sit here, and I get it. We like Justin Fields. He's so easy to cheer for. I get it. But we still need to evaluate the position. So let's not bite people's heads off if they're saying, hey, there, there's a chance here that Caleb Williams may be a high enough level of a prospect that, that the Bears move on from Justin Fields. And just scream at people and call them morons and clowns and, and haters and racists. And, oh, just enough. Let's, let's come together, Bears fans. Let's not turn this into the same political divide in this country. Let, let's actually come together and know that everybody wants the Chicago Bears to win a Super Bowl. And we're not sure if Justin Fields can do it or not. Even if you're the biggest Fields supporter, you can't sit there and be like, I guarantee 100% Justin Fields is going to win a Super Bowl for the Chicago Bears. Nobody knows that. We're trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. And Ryan Poles has actually put the Bears in the best situation to do that since 1984. Like, that, I'm serious. Like, this is how good he, he has built up a good roster. He's got tons of draft capital. He's got an opportunity to reset the quarterback clock if he wants. And we went over all that last week about the quarterback clock and how you build up the roster here. And none of that's changed. That's still the same. So when we're looking at this, let's evaluate Justin Fields. And, and when we look at this, let, let's look at this, I'll try to say objectively. And you're saying, oh, no, you're subjective. Okay, fine. But you, you know what I mean. Let's try and take a motion out of this when we look at Justin Fields. Justin Fields had some awful games We all to start the year. Then he had a couple incredible games, and he had a bad half, but then he got hurt. So three awful games, two great games, then he got hurt. Now he's been back, and these last three games have all been pretty similar, right? Flat, big play flashes, you know, big play flashes, like he had at the end of the Vikings game with DJ Moore. Uh, you know, they're all DJ Moore, really. The bomb, the DJ Moore, the first Detroit game, the fourth and 13, the DJ Moore, this Detroit game. Like, we've seen the flashes, the big plays from Justin Fields. But we saw the two fumbles against Minnesota. We, we, we still see, you know, the, the airmail couple passes against Detroit the second time. We still see some issues. So when we talk about a quarterback who's almost 40 starts into his NFL career. And I, I know Bears fans, most of them, and I think he's going to get a little better too, don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of Bears fans sit here and go, he's going to keep getting better. But we're also at a point where we've just about finished the third year and he's 40 starts into his career. And we sit there and go, this may be about where Justin Fields is. He get a little more talent around him, so he'll have a couple more weapons you know, he can get a little more consistently and, and consistent in some of the areas of his game. But it is also fair to say that this version of Justin Fields is Justin Fields, right? Like we last year and the year before, this was developing Justin Fields. Now you may sit here and go, no, he's still developing. He's going to turn into a top five quarterback, whatever. Okay, fine. That's your opinion. But in my opinion, Yes, I expect him to get a little better than he is right now because we see the consistency getting a little better as we have here since he's come back from injury. But it's fair to consider Justin Fields is this guy. Might be a little better, but he is this guy. So if this is Justin Fields, if this quarterback that we're watching, this is him, right? Big plays with his legs, big plays with his arms, but, you know, mixes in a three and out, gets sacked too much, that guy. 
who got drilled in this Detroit game. I mean, pummeled. You saw him wincing. You saw him rubbing his hamstrings. You saw him rubbing his shoulder. You saw him rotating his arm. He got beat the hell up. That's going to keep happening with this style of play. If you're And Mark, Mark Schlereth kept talking about it. Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? You've got that quarterback. Is that enough for you to commit to him? Because I hear Bears fans saying, oh, well, you know, you know, like a Geno Smith contract, three years, 75 million. No, Geno Smith was a reclamation project and is much older. If you trade Justin Fields, then what the next team has to pay him, the, the market totally changes because this is a second chance. But if the Chicago Bears are going to commit to Justin Fields, he's making more than Daniel Jones. 45 million is probably the number. You're going to have to give, maybe you don't have to give him five years. You're going to have to give him four years, $180 million, and guarantee over $100 million to him. Is that what you want to do? Because if you play this out and you pick up the fifth-year option, I'm not saying you extend him this offseason, right? This offseason, all you do is commit to him and pick up the fifth-year option. Then after next year, you got to start paying him. So when Darnell Wright becomes a free agent, when Marvin Harrison you know, because I, I would assume that's who the Bears draft, right? If they trade Caleb, you know, they trade the Caleb Williams pick, Marvin Harrison, something like that. When he's a free agent, when Jervon Dexter and Tyreek Stevenson, <coughs> when all these guys are becoming a free agent, you can't keep them all because you've paid Justin Fields. Now, if you reset the quarterback clock and you have starting now, five years with Caleb Williams before a big deal gets in. Then you can extend these guys before Caleb Williams. Then, assuming you extend Caleb Williams for $55, $60 million, whatever the hell it would be at that point, it keeps going up. Then you've still got a window. Then once you've extended Caleb Williams, six, seven years from now is when you start bleeding talent instead of three years from now, four years from now. It's a big difference. You extend the window. Now, again, if Caleb Williams busts, then you screwed up and you should have kept Justin Fields. But if this version of Justin Fields, if you sit there and go, if Justin Fields is this quarterback for 2024, 2025, and 2026, is that good enough? And if you think it is, then you want to commit to him. And if you don't think it is, because you and you think he'll keep developing, okay, but you have to keep in mind that this may be about where Justin Fields settles in as a quarterback. You know, this is three years in the league. It's a much different situation. And then, of course, you know, to finish this up here, you get to Luke Getze. And Getze's a weird situation because, again, I don't think him and Fields fit very well together. But they played a lot better. You know, they matched a lot better here this last Detroit game. And do you want to give Justin Fields another offensive coordinator? And, And then you start thinking about it. Okay, Justin Fields. He had to learn a new offense in college because he started in Georgia. So he had a couple years at Ohio State, learn that offense. Then he's got to go learn Matt Nagy's offense. Then he's got to go learn the offense of Luke Getze. Then he has that offense for two years. Now you fire him again and you get another offensive coordinator. I mean, just, just think about that from Justin Fields' brain perspective. That his three years in college, he had two offenses to learn. That his first year in the NFL, he had an offense to learn. So that's three offenses in four years. Then that coach is gone. Now he's got to learn his fourth offense in five years. 
Then he gets that for two years. And now he has to learn another one. So he's got to learn five offenses in seven years. That's a lot to do to a quarterback. That's what happened to Jay Cutler. And at the end, we sit there and go, well, that's why Jay didn't develop. He never had consistency at the offensive coordinator spot. That's another thing to keep in mind with Justin Fields. I, I don't like the idea of keeping Luke Getze around with him, but I also don't like the idea of Justin Fields being the quarterback and having him to learn another offense again. So it gets very complicated here. The decisions Ryan Poles has to make are basically impossible. So it gets really tough, especially when we sit here and talk about this Carolina Panthers pick. Because if this Carolina Panthers pick was, wasn't a top five pick, this isn't even a consideration. Justin Fields is the Bears quarterback. The only reason he may not be is because of this Carolina Panthers trade and having what almost certainly looks like the number one pick. You know, speed, first pick survivor, still three teams, two of them with three wins, the Panthers with one win. The Panthers have the tiebreaker over the other two teams. Everyone else has been eliminated. That's it. Bingo, bango. There's three, you know, three teams left and two of them, it's a long shot for them to get there. The Panthers, it's like 93% number one pick right now. It's almost a lock. Every game they lose, just chalk up another one, chalk up another one. Even if they win two more games out of their last four, they still have to have the tiebreaker. The Patriots have to lose out, and then they have to lose the tiebreaker to the Patriots because they're not going to lose it to the Cardinals. So it's a almost a lock, and I get it. You sit there and say they could trade this down again and get another huge haul, and it would just be crazy what they could accomplish with that. And like I said, that's 30 for 30 level, the trade, when you talk about how much they would get from this trade. But at the same time, you draft Caleb Williams and becomes a top five quarterback in the league, same thing, 30 for 30 on the trade. Like, it's that impactful. It's a Herschel Walker level trade at this point. Because you have two options. You've already gotten Darnell Wright, DJ Moore, Tyreek Stevenson, and Three more picks because you got the Eagles pick for trading down one spot for Darnell Wright. You've already got that much for one pick. If you trade down again, you're going to get basically all that and a little bit more, I believe, for that pick. And then that all gets added to the original trade in terms of your total compensation for that pick. Or you go draft a new quarterback, Caleb Williams. He becomes a star and... The team that traded up to number one drafted potentially a busted quarterback with Bryce Young. You got the number one pick from them next year to get Caleb Williams, and you still got all this other talent. Like, it's an epic trade that Ryan Poles has made, the way everything has broke down here. So if that trade didn't exist, Justin Fields is the quarterback. And there'd be a small spattering of people comparing Justin Fields to Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy and going, should they move on for one of these guys? But it wouldn't really be a conversation. We'd be saying, oh, no, of course they should keep Justin Fields. But the point is that they have the number one pick and they have a prospect, and Drake May's really good as well, but they have a prospect who, even if we dump the tag generational, like I just had two guys in the last two days. I had one guy tell me he was his, I think, sixth best-graded quarterback in 40 years of evaluations, going back to the early 80s, basically starting since John Elway. And he had John Elway as a better prospect than Caleb Williams. But like sick, like there was it was Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck and John Elway. And there was, I think Jeff George may have been in there. And I, I get it, Jeff George didn't work out, but I, it's not perfect. But he that level, 
that's where they had Caleb Williams. And the other guy said that Caleb Williams, I think, was like the fifth best quarterback he had seen in 30 years of scouting. So generational may be too bold of a label, but really, really good quarterback prospect is a very fair label. So it's a tough, tough situation. But while I've been talking about that for a good 15 minutes here, let's table it. Let's bring on Adam Johns and let's talk about the playoffs because the Chicago Bears are in a position. They are one win away from putting themselves, I don't want to say in the driver's seat, but in a really good position to finish this season strong and give them a really good chance in week 18 to beat the Packers and make the playoffs. Adam Johns, he joins me next. Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Always excited to have this guy on. One of the big dogs of the Chicago (laughs) Bears beat. He is Adam Johns of The Athletic, of course, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S, not O-N-S. And he joins me now. Adam, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Good, Bill. Don't call me a big dog. I I don't know if... Okay, I'll I'll take the compliment, but... um... All right, uh, it'll work. It'll work. I guess I'll accept it. <laughs> well, and before we dive into the Bears, I just want to say, you know, obviously we know Hogan John's podcast been around for a long time. It's very successful. You guys are doing great with it. And and I've always listened to bits and pieces and always when I could when I was with SiriusXM. But as someone in programming, we had 21 hours live a day. So we're, I was always listening to that and trying to squeeze in Bears content when I could. But not with Sirius anymore, having a little more freedom in terms of what I can consume And I've been able to listen to you guys consistently, you know, if not all three episodes, at least two of the episodes every week. And it's a great podcast. I really enjoy it. I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast is already listening to yours. But if you're not, I highly recommend it. Make sure you check it out, whether it's the YouTube feed or or on, you know, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. It's a great podcast. It's informative. It's entertaining. It's it's good debate and good conversation. You and Hogue don't always agree. and, And I've really enjoyed it. I can't. I can't thank you enough for that. I really appreciate that. So call me like maybe maybe one of the old dogs. Yeah. How, how many years on the beat is it now? Well, the, the Hulk and John's podcast goes all the way back to, oh, I want to say it, we started it between Tressman and Fox, um, but I've been covering the team, Bill, since Lovey Smith. Right. So, yeah. And it was the Blackhawks yeah. before that, correct? Yeah. So forget big dogs. Call me one of the old dogs. I'm one of the old guys <laughs> on the beat. I used to be one of the young guys. It's amazing when you in my twenties feeling good, full right? of energy. Now I'm like, oh man, another loss. It's amazing when you blink and look around and go, oh, when did that happen? Yes, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, lots of changes. Even that team too, but like so many. Yeah, absolutely. So, so speaking of when did this happen? I've got to ask you exactly when did the Bears get good here? Because <laughs> I know you know it's two in a row, but it's it's three out of the last four, and obviously that Detroit game, the first Detroit game, easily could have been a win. Things are are really coming together. And, and as a guy who has been very cl- critical of Matt Eberflus throughout most of this season, I got to pause and, and give him credit because not, not only what he's done with turning around the defense, but when this team was 0-4 and 2-6 and or whatever exactly the records were, it would have been really easy for this locker room to just be like, I forget this guy. And he kept this locker room together. He kept them believing. And, you know, we're, they're sitting here and it's a long shot. And we're going to talk about it, but five and eight and still in the playoff hunt. So I did an article. It feels like forever ago, but it was a couple months ago. Definitely it was. Um, 
this is just after all the the firings and whatnot, and, and the wins are are starting. There, there was one or two wins on the record. I forget, forget exactly when it was on the schedule, but I started to ask around the locker room, like, hey, you know, like, are you guys with Matt Eberflus? And I was like, honestly, shocked at that point in the season how resounding it was that yes, we are. Like, e- even his hypercritical loaf grading system. Yep. All board. Don't mind it at all. I like it. It kind of keeps me accountable. And these were young players, old players, new players like TJ Edwards, who said it was very similar to what he had in Philadelphia. Like the buy-in was there. I don't think the health was there. Montez Sweat wasn't there on the roster. Um, I think Matt Eberflus was, was still finding his way as a defensive coordinator again, especially with his own play calling. So like you could go back in the time machine and, and hear signs of it you know, five, six, seven weeks ago, but you need to see it on the field, right? Seeing is believing. And once I think they got healthy, once you saw some of the younger players develop, once you saw some of the veteran players take the next steps in their careers, like Jalen Johnson, like you started to see what they were talking about just in terms of what we can be defensively. Now there are still ups and downs offensively. I still think there are right now with the offense, but the signs have been there. On defense, now you're starting to see that in the stats. You're seeing that in the scoreboard. You're seeing that in the win-loss column. So a long time coming, maybe. Maybe it's our own impatience um, with their coverage, myself included. But, you know, if you ask some of these players, the signs have been there for a bit. Yeah, no, they they have. And, you know, we kept, you know, whether it was the media or fans, hey, they've won two out of their last four. They've won three out of their last six. They've won four out of their last eight. And now it's kind of coming together with, with a little more consistency. And because of the parity in the NFL, the, the door's open here to have hopefully some exciting football. And to, to me, this Cleveland Browns game coming up here is, is literally the, the entire season now on the line. I mean, and, and really every game after that is because nine and eight, I think is going to give them a pretty good chance. It's not perfect. I played with the schedule predictor, you know, they, they still could go nine and eight, miss the playoffs. But I also played with the schedule predictor at eight and nine, even with the Cleveland loss, which in theory would be the best loss to have because it's in the AFC for tiebreaker purposes. It, I can't come up with ways to get them in the playoffs at eight and nine with all the other games that have to be played out. So they really, I think have to run the table but I'll be honest, as a guy, you know, I predict the game, you know, I know you and Hogue do as well at the end of the podcast each week. And I've been pretty much picking the Bears to lose every week. I picked them to beat the Packers week one and then other than maybe the Panthers and whatnot. I haven't been picking them really at all. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in this game for multiple reasons. Joe Flacco, I know, has got a little life in him, but it's still, you know, 39-year-old Joe Flacco, whatever he is. And the Browns defense that has been just locked down the last four or five games here. They're, they're giving up 30 points a game, almost 30 points a game here. So there's an opportunity, I think, for the offense to get its feet, you know, on the ground and, and doing pretty well. And this defense to continue to terrorize mediocre quarterbacks. And I, I think the bears not only have a good chance to win, I think they have a chance to win comfortably again. Are you saying that Joe Flacco is not elite? I, I am exactly. How, how, how dare you? No, but, but, I, you know what? I really liked like 2012 Joe Flacco. I thought he got too much criticism. I always liked him in the fourth quarter. I thought he was good. And, but yeah, this this version of Joe, I, I know he's done, you know, had a nice game last week, but that's, <laughs> I, I'm not counting on it. Alex. But, but I'm with you. Like, like that Josh Dobbs story, like that, that, that eventually was going to end, right? Like nice story. 
Joe Flacco is like an older, less mobile version of that, right? Like the Bears should be able to get to him. They should be able to make this a long day for him. If it was a long day for Jared Goff, this should be a long day for Joe Flacco, even if you're on the road. I, I think the Bears are built better to handle like everything that comes with playing on the road in a defensive battle, like in a cold game. Like they're actually built for that type of game. I'm not sure how many points the Bears offense is going to point up, put up, but like you can see them keeping this close. And if they keep it close, I'm betting on Justin Fields to make a few more plays than Joe Flacco. You know he's going to be motivated in this game. Like the last time the Bears played the Browns. Oh, yeah. Remember how bad that was? Oh, it's burned in. It's it's a core memory now, Adam. <laughs> yes. This is a different quarterback now for the Chicago Bears. Absolutely. There's some confidence there. He's feeling good about himself in the moment. He's got a lot, of, a lot more experience to him. He's got a strong running game, a good offensive line. And DJ Moore and Cole Komet playing at Pro Bowl levels, too. So... I like the Bears' chances in this. I'm still trying to figure out what my score prediction will be, but I think the Bears match up very well against the Browns for sure. Yeah, I, I think they do too. And that's, you know, and I said this earlier on the podcast, if if the Bears do win this one, the national media, like they're going to be a story, forget local, they're going to be talked about on, on Get Up and First Take and, you know, you know, uh, Robert Mays is going to be drinking the Kool-Aid. Talked about differently, not not in terms of like right, right, yeah. <laughs> they blow everything up. They're There's going the to be Justin Fields. Yeah. We're going to hear this. The Bears are the team nobody will want to play in the playoffs. Like if they win this game here, because you're going to have Arizona Atlanta up next, and that sets up the opportunity for the and you know. Take that hard swallow, at, you know, an eight and eight team going into the last week of the year, where if there's playoff implications on the line, the NFL is going to put Bears Packers on Sunday night football, and it's you know it's going to be you know that opportunity to finally beat the Packers in, in a prime situation and, and move on. But at the same time, you know, you're going to get nervous because of the the history of the last twenty years here with the Packers. Mm -hmm. But that's that's to me. If you beat and and I, it's they're five and eight. It's weird because they're one game out of the playoffs, but they currently have the fifth pick in the draft. So it just kind of shows you how much, you know, clutter there is in the NFC right now. But I, I sit there and say, if they win this game, they're, the locker room is going to, not that it's confident, it's lacking confidence now, but it's going to be brimming with confidence. The national media is going to start talking about this team and it's going to get really interesting the rest of December. Yeah. I, I think it's important like not to get too carried away. Like the bears, have won three out of four, and they beat one of those teams they beat is the like the Carolina Panthers. But like, there are so many reasons for optimism right now. After there weren't really any, <laughs> you know, a couple right. months ago, and I think that's okay. I think that's okay to evaluate that. Look at the defensive numbers; they they've been outstanding since week five. Want to improve those numbers? Look at it since the acquisition of Montez Sweat. They're even better. Sure, they got to improve on third downs and red zone, but. Those teams got to get in those situations to begin with, right? Like they were great on third down against the, the Lions, especially in the second half. So the Bears are doing some good things defensively. They're going to keep things tight. And I think like to, to your point, like not wanting to play the Bears at this point in the season, or you know, I'm not going to say playoffs yet, but like at this point in the season, is there some unpredictable qualities to what Justin Fields can do? Sure. You know, like he could be great in some moments and bad in others, but those great moments, they're so hard to stop. So hard to stop. Like the Lions had no problem with the design runs, but you know what? Their pass rush 
couldn't contain him when they needed to in such key moments. You cannot allow a quarterback to scramble out of the end zone for 19 yards after being 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Again, in the end zone. Like those are difference making plays. And Justin Fields, you know, for all his 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 faults, you know, you know, as as a pastor, can do those things. And he can give you some big plays through his arm, too. So there's such like that's the unknown, right? If if he finds some consistency, you know, specifically as a passer, the Bears can be a very dangerous team. Yeah, and and you know, a, f- a few weeks ago when they played Detroit the first time, I had a guy named Patrick Maher on this show who is a host on Veasan, and, and he's from Michigan. He's a big Detroit Lions fan, follows the team closely, so that's why I had him on. And you know, just talking about Justin Fields, he he said he's like, you know, right now Fields is kind of a middle of the pack, pretty good quarterback. Like when you just kind of look at the full body of work. But he said when you compare him to the other middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks, he, he says, as a fan, I'm afraid to play Justin Fields because, you know, and he torched Detroit last year for those 60-yard touchdown runs. It was because of that explosiveness. So he goes, while, you know, he may not, you know, in the full body of a season and you look at everything, he may not be much better. Maybe he's a little worse than someone like Jared Goff, but the fear that fans have about that he could go eight carries for 120 yards and two touchdowns and hit hit you for a, a deep shot to DJ Moore through the air. And you know, if the fans have that fear, the defensive coordinators have that fear as well. So the weapon that Justin Fields is makes this whole thing with a, with a lockdown defense makes this whole thing really interesting and compelling. It's that Mike McDaniel moment on the sideline telling Justin Fields right. to stop, stop it. it. There's something unique about what Justin Fields can do. And, and, you know, that's a great way to put it because all the numbers say, especially for passing, that's where Justin Fields is, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, 11 to 19, depending on what metrics you want to use. And, you know, that's where Jay Cutler spent really the majority of his career. Middle of the pack, you know, it's still too young to to fully compare. um, Or Justin Fields is still too young to fully compare him to the – that that just that that Jay Cutler career arc, but you know if he finds some consistency as a pass as a passer, if if he I almost said Packer there, um as a passer, um if he, you know, but like I'm 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 kind of stuck on what your 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 guest said there, like because that that's that is such a great point. Like there are some things that he can do that other quarterbacks just cannot do. Like right, Jared Goff. Great passer and everything's perfect, but he can't run for 19 yards out of the end zone. Joe Flacco can't run for one yard. You know, like, right. like, like, like that's what. Like, look at Tua the other night. Like, he could buy himself time, but he's not taking off the field for 10, 15 yards when you really might need him to. Like, he might get you eight, but like, Justin Fields is a different threat. He really is. Yeah, he's he's. It's a unique skill set, and that's what. You know, Ryan Poles has some tough decisions to make this offseason. And, you know, while we kind of have a few minutes left here, let, let me kind of ask you a couple big picture things. And let, let's let take running the table off the table because I think all bets are off there. And in going 4-0 here the rest of the way, you know, 6-0 to finish is that that we're, we understand it's a tall, tall order. But let, whether they win, you know, one, two, three games, you know, it almost doesn't matter. So say they go two and two or three and one the rest of the way. It doesn't matter who they lose to. If you want to say lose to the Packers, whatever. But they finish seven and ten or eight and nine. 
Are you at a point, and I know this is an impossible question at this point, but are you at a point, and I know you had your bold prediction about Matt Eberflus being retained before they got hot like this. Are you at a point where you think as long as they don't collapse down the stretch here that Matt Eberflus is going to return? Well, if you want to look at the win-loss total as progress, Mike, some has been made already, right? If you want to look at some stats as progress, you could see that defensively. I just think we cannot forget what last year was because I don't think Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren are. They were purposely bad. Now, did they want to finish with the first pick? No. Did they want to win games? Yes. But if you're looking at realistically and like you're, if you're being honest with your evaluation, that was a bad roster, a purposely bad roster. You traded your two best defensive players in the middle of the season. That has to be held. That is such an important part of the evaluation, I think, of Matt Eberflus. And I think that's such like, Yes, you're not like looking past all that, you know, but like there's some tangible progress being made that I think if Ryan Poles wanted to say, you know what, I see it. I still believe in Matt Eberflus. There are some statistical indicators that provide that proof. There, there really are. And I think when you when you look at what like this full body of work for Matt Eberflus is, not even two full seasons, like you cannot forget that they wanted to be bad last year. And that like right. everybody was in on it, you know, like the coaches knew what they had, right? Like they took a gamble and, and tried to acquire, they acquired Chase Claypool knowing that it was a gamble, bad move in retrospect, you know, probably a bad move in the moment, but it's all bad of a roster yeah. they had and, and, last year. And we know why Nathan Peterman started. <laughs> Tim Boyle played. Then he did like I, I did not yeah, forget right. that, right? Tim Boyle yeah. played in that yeah. game at the end of the year, right? Like, yeah. thank you very much. You know, like everybody was in on it. Um, you know, losing is contagious, but you know, and kind of building your way out of that can be extremely difficult. But you're starting to see signs that maybe Matt Eberflus at least has a path to some of those victories. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you this. My brother brought this up to me yesterday and I really like the point. So I'm going to bring it up to you and, and I'll let you respond to it. So he, he brought up a baseball team that in 2013 won 65 games and then they hired a new manager and that manager came out and won eight more games in the previous year. And their last 59 games, they went 31 and 28. So they improved. They played much better, but they weren't great, but this was a, a rebuilding process. Then after one year, they decided to fire that manager because they had an opportunity to go get Joe Madden. And that's the Chicago Cubs, of course, and it led to winning a World Series where Rick Renneria did not deserve to lose his job. He did a, he did a solid job. The team was improving. But, you know, Theo Epstein, and they, they looked at that and said, Can, is Rick Renneria the guy who's going to be holding up a World Series trophy? And they decided the answer was no. They had an opportunity to get Joe Madden. And, I, you know, if the Bears do move on, I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh is Joe Madden and that's going to happen. Ben Johnson, you know, any of these hot names. I understand that you'd be leaving, you'd be getting rid of a guy who's done a good job here down the stretch for an unknown factor. And that's, you know, I, I think that's the whole thing with Justin Fields. The unknown factor is scary for Bears fans when they see something that's pretty good right now. So is that something that you think – 
is vi is 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 fair is valid and is you think that's maybe something that the front office would look at the fact that yeah Matt Matt Eberflus is good but maybe he's not good enough. And, and, well, I, I guess to your point, like who is your Joe Madden then? Because I would think I'll, I'll say it. That has to be Jim Harbaugh. That Jim Harbaugh would, for that analogy, Jim Harbaugh would be Joe Madden. Because because Joe Madden had that track record. It's like the Blackhawks replacing Dennis Savard, a Hall of Fame player, but their coach at the time for Joel Quimble. Again, a coach that was already on track, who already has a couple Coach of the Year awards, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not Ben Johnson. I, I, I know what, like, like, I understand the like the every year infatuation with like the hot offensive name, but you know what? Matt Eberflus just schooled Ben Johnson the other day at Soldier Field. Now Ben Johnson's offense only scored thirteen points. Shut out Matt Eberflus the other night. Yeah. Yes, like so. Like take that. Think about that a, a little bit. Like who is like who would that coach be? To me, it, it's only Jim Harbaugh. You know, unless something shockingly happens or and like, I don't know, like Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin or Bill Belichick is, is available, you know, but that's, you know, that's for another day. I don't think that those conversations even exist yet because you know, they're, are, are they available? Like Sean Payton a, a couple of years ago, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? So like right now, if I had to like make my Joe Madden, Joel Quimble list, it's like Jim Harbaugh. And nobody else, because I think you know what you're getting with Harbaugh. The track record includes a Super Bowl appearance with the 49ers. It, it includes three consecutive Big Ten championships. Like, that's something. That is something more than what Ben Johnson is doing with Jared Goff, with all due respect to Ben Johnson and Jared Goff. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that would be the higher to me. Like, if you're looking for that splash hire that really propels your organization, it's like Jim Harbaugh and, and who else? And unless other names can be added to it, again, like a Belichick, a Tomlin, a Vrabel, someone else, some other experienced coach who may want to change the scenery, I don't know who that is. All right. And I, I know you got to get running. So let me just ask you one last thing here. And that got to ask about Justin Fields, your thoughts on him. I know we talked about him a little bit before, but in terms of big picture evaluation, because what's thrown this whole thing, you know, a wrench into it, and it's a positive wrench for Ryan Poles and the Bears, is the Carolina Panthers pick. The trade he made last year is right now is headed towards Herschel Walker level status in terms of what this is going to accomplish, whether they go out and draft a Caleb Williams, who maybe becomes a franchise quarterback, or they trade down again. And then you add everything they got from this trade down to the first trade down, and it becomes an obscene haul, haul at this point. So, you know, if, if the Panthers gave the Bears the 10th, 11th pick, Justin Fields would be the quarterback here, and there, there wouldn't even be a question about it at this point, I don't think. But it does throw a wrench into it, and it, it makes Ryan Pohl's evaluation really difficult. So, so let me ask you, if Justin Fields, if what we've seen here the last, since he's been back from injury, where, yeah, he could have some highs like the Denver and Washington game and some lows like the first Minnesota game, the Kansas City game, stuff like that, that's going to happen. But if this is kind of who he is, who we've seen the last few weeks, if he's near his ceiling, which when we're approaching 40 starts, I think that's fair. I think a lot of Bears fans hope he's going to continue to develop, but it's fair if you think he's nearing his ceiling as to where he's going to be overall. Is that a quarterback that you're comfortable with keeping and trading out of the opportunity of Caleb Williams or Drake May for that matter? Or are you only comfortable with it if he continues to get better? I think 
the best way to put it is like, well, it's like with this question, what, what are your expectations for 2024? If you're the Chicago bears, like the expectations for this year, in, in the words of Ryan Poles are define us by wins. It's time to look at the win loss column, right? Is 2024 about the playoffs, like flirting with a playoff appearance throughout the year, not like now, but being a consistent winner throughout the year. And I, I, I guess like what's the best path to, to being that consistent, like playoff threat team, you know, like, always in the hunt, not just like the last team in the hunt, but like maybe a little higher up on that list of every single team. Like I got the, the thumbs yeah, you up. Get the thumbs up yep. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but in all seriousness, like if you, if you want to win in 2024, who gives you that opportunity? Is it Justin Fields in year four with all his experience? It's some continuity with DJ Moore, Cole Komet in that offensive line. Or is it starting things over with a Caleb Williams or a, a Drake May? I, I would think it's Justin Fields, to, to be honest with you. And maybe you take that, if things don't work out, maybe you take that swing later. Because if you're trading the first pick, you're going to have two first-round picks in the next draft, too. You know you know what I'm saying? Like, you could keep pushing it down the road a little bit. But I just think it comes down to what your expectations are for next season. And I think it's being a playoff team. And I think you're closer to being a playoff team in 2024 with Justin Fields. And I get it like, well, you got to find that Super Bowl quarterback. But you, you know what? It's hard. Like, even look, look at Justin Herbert. As great as he is, I think he's got a losing record. You know what I'm saying? Look right. at Brock Purdy on that loaded team. Look at Jalen Hurts on that loaded team. There are different paths to this success than trying to hit that home run with that quarterback. And, of course, yes, you want to hit that home run on that quarterback. But you know what? Justin Fields, for everything we said earlier in this podcast, can still do things that other quarterbacks, other quarterbacks can't do. You know, that yeah, means absolutely. something. And this locker room, like he means something to this locker room. So it's a lot to think about. You know, yeah. thank God I'm not in Ryan Poles' shoes. That's it's a lot to handle. Like there are some long-term decisions here to be made because of what you did with that first pick last year and here you are again with the first pick this year yeah these these questions are absolutely impossible so i'll just wrap up with this and you just give me a 20 second answer rank most job security to least job security matt eberflus luke getsy justin fields oh that's good um rank them rank them who has the most who has the least out of that group doesn't mean least means they don't have any but just rank them in terms of most uh eberflus fields getsy but I've said it on the Hogan Johns podcast. If you're keeping fields, you keep Getsy. Very unpopular opinion, but let's not do to Justin Fields what we did to Jay Cutler. Right, yeah, the revolving door of offensive coordinators. I get it. All right, so there he is, at Adam Johns. Of course, you can read him at The Athletic, and, of course, listen to him, the Hogan Johns podcast, uh, post games Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, Adam, thanks so much. Really enjoyed the conversation, and we will talk to you soon. See you, Bill. Thanks, man. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Adam Johns, everybody. Always a good conversation with Johnsy. Really enjoyed that one. And and yeah, like it, it's interesting right now for these guys at Alice Hall because things have really shifted the last few weeks. But I think a, a lot of good points from Adam there. And and it's it's wild here. Like I, I said before, and I said with Adam, I think this Cleveland game is everything. So when we have this podcast next week, we are going to have a lot of answers as to what 
you know, we should hope to happen here the, the rest of the rest of the season. So let's do some questions as we always do. Of course, at Bill T. Zimmerman on Twitter, you can get them there. Usually I will almost always send out a tweet. So look for the tweet, reply to the tweet, get a question on the podcast. Let's start with Laquan the Don, a.k.a. Ken. Do you see them trying Dexter at edge? He has shown flashes there and then draft a pure three tech like Newton from Illinois. Ken, I I think Dexter is very interesting and I don't see Dexter as a long-term edge, right? But I do see Dexter, I think what they're trying to do is give him position flexibility like Demarcus Walker has. If you, Montez Sweat, they've even rushed him from the inside. I've seen a couple times. You have position flexibility with this, guys. You can do so many different looks and really try and confuse an offense and really try and overpower them in certain areas. It gives you a whole different world with what you can do. So what I would say to that is, no, I would not make him a full-time edge, but I do want to see him keep moving around in terms of position flexibility. Now, Newton as a three-tech if, you know, I don't know, it depends on how things, you know, unfold for the Bears in this draft and, and where Newton ends up. I think Newton is anywhere from 10 to 20 right now in the first round. I know that's a wide range, but it's still really early in the process. He's going to be the top three tech. I, I'm confident about that. It's just kind of a matter of how much offense goes in front of him. Because, you know, when I'm evaluating this right now and it's early, I am certainly, I am not Jacob and Vontae. I'm not EJ Snyder, Brett Coleman. You know, I I don't have the knowledge base. I'm not that good. I don't evaluate more than, you know, the top 50, 60 guys, maybe a few other intriguing guys. Like, I I don't dive, you know, 150 guys in in the draft. That's a a huge commitment to do. But I do like looking at the top of the draft and having a good idea what goes on, especially this year with the Bears situation. You've got Brock Bowers, obviously, tight end. You've got four, I would say confidently, four wide receivers that are probably top 15 worthy between Harrison, Neighbors, Adunze, and Keon Coleman. Like you got those four guys. You've got three really good tackles with Fashionu, Alt, and Jake and Latham. Right? You got three really good tackles. I think you and I've said this since day one that there was going to be a third quarterback emerge and go in the top 10. And we were kept wondering who's it going to be, who's it going to be? Jaden Daniels. He's going way high. He's going way high. So you got three quarterbacks. You've got a tight end. You've got three tackles. So that's seven guys. You've got four wide receivers. That's 11 guys. And you've got the the UCLA edge, Latu. You've got all those guys at a minimum who I think are going ahead of Newton. So you, it, it really depends on what else comes. I haven't even talked about cornerbacks yet. We haven't talked about the other edges like Chop Robinson and Jared Verse and those guys. Like there, there's, it's, it's too early to know exactly where the Bears are going to be and if they're going to be potentially be able to get Newton. So what I would say to that, and I believe I've said this on the podcast before, if not, I've at least written about it. To me, rather than go for a guy like Newton, who, again, I like, Chris Jones to me is a guy that is really compelling for me in free agency. And that may sound wild. But I don't think Chris Jones is going to return to Kansas City. So when you talk about impactful free techs, there's not a ton available in free agency because teams don't let them go. Christian Wilkins is one in Miami, but I think Christian Wilkins will get the tag. I think they will 
They're going to try and keep that team together in Miami as best they can. I think he's going to get the tag. But I think Chris Jones, with how the negotiations went with Kansas City and him holding out, Chris Jones has kind of accomplished everything he wants except a gigantic payday. And I think the Chicago Bears, with the amount of money they have, and Ryan Poles comes from Kansas City, he's got a relationship with Chris Jones, can sit him down and say, here's three years, $100 million, because even if you keep Justin Fields, you can set up that contract where most of the Chris Jones money comes is paid before you have to pay Justin Fields. So you can make that work with that shorter of a deal. And if, of course, you move on from Justin Fields and go to Caleb Williams, then you can absolutely make it work. So you can pay Chris Jones a god, just a huge gob of money, and you potentially get him to Chicago, because I think that's what Chris Jones has looked for. He's won Super Bowls. I don't think he's been Defensive Player of the Year, but he's been AP first team and Pro Bowls, and he's going to Canton. Like, all that's done. So Chris Jones goes and says, all right, I can take a top 10 defense, elevate it to a top five defense. I can just wreck havoc, you know, and have Montez Sweat and Javon Dexter and Walker and and Billings around me. That, to me, that's my path for a three-tech is Chris Jones. Now, if they franchise tag him again, he re-signs in Kansas City, I'm wrong, I misread the situation. But I think Chris Jones is hitting free agency. I really do. And I think the Chicago Bears should want to spend a lot of money to bring him to Chicago because the idea of trying to get Newton, that's it's a lot different in the top five where you say, all right, we have the third pick, we want to get Marvin Harrison. Then, you know, we have the eighth pick in the draft and we traded down to 14 and we're hoping to get Newton there, but he could go 12, right? Like it's, it's too uncertain. You want to have that position, if you can, rock solid before the draft. That's my opinion. So... Let us do another one that's similar. Chris Armstrong with Dexter ascending. I'm not sure you need to draft a three-tech early. What do you think? And again, I would say yes, because again, Newton's the only three-tech. That's it for me. He's the only guy that's got a first-round grade right now. We'll see if things change, but that's it. So I'm not Newton or bust. I say, and I don't say let's rely on Dexter as the three-tech. Let's get Chris Jones and let him and Dexter be impactful together be able to move them around, right? You'd have Montez Sweat, who can rush inside and out. Chris Jones, you can move him around, inside or out. Dexter, inside or out. Walker, inside or out. Billings, you know, going to line him up against the center and have him draw double teams. We, we know that. But you're going to have this kind of flexibility if you do something like that. So I'm going to keep squawking about Chris Jones for the next three months. Sure, it's a little bit of a pipe dream, but I do think there is absolutely a possibility that he could be in Chicago next year. That's the guy I have circled. How about at Chicago Muse, who says, has Darnell Wright been playing with a hurt shoulder all year? Seems like it, but I don't know. Well, here's two things with with Darnell Wright. He definitely hurt his shoulder in the middle of the season, and I don't remember which game it was where he basically had the shoulder, his arm was just like swinging, like a a free-swinging pendulum. He couldn't even use it. Uh, And and he did a hell of a job being able to, to play that way with, with a really injured shoulder. And again, I, like I said, I don't remember which game that was. So comes back. The shoulder's definitely doing better. It could still be impacting his play, but you also have to keep in mind this. Darnell Wright has been playing every snap of every game, and he is now hitting the rookie wall. 
We talk about this all the time, year in and year out. College players, they play 12, 13 games a year. That's where he is now. So now he has to push past that. You know, this isn't like a Jervon Dexter where it may wear on him a little, but he's only playing 30% of the snaps. Wright's playing all the snaps. So that is going to wear on him. That is something his body has not been able to do. He needs to adjust to that. So Darnell Wright, he's probably playing with a banged up shoulder, but he's also probably getting worn down from the season. You know, he is not getting a lot of help from the Bears. They're not putting Mercedes Lewis next to him as much as I thought they were going to do. They're leaving him out on an island. Yeah, he's getting some penalties. He's getting beat sometimes, but that's okay. He's a rookie. He's developing. But the Chicago Bears have said, all right, Darnell, you are just going to learn trial by fire. And that's what he's been doing. He's done a hell of a job as far as I'm concerned. So this is just kind of a, you know, a full body of work of a rookie season from the length, the shoulder injury, the amount of snaps, and he's probably just wearing down a little bit. So he may not be as sharp as he was a couple months ago. And that is okay. So let's do this one here from Cav Manning. What do you think of this? Take Harrison at one. The other first rounder you trade back to get more picks. Draft McCarthy. Trade fields for more picks. Sign Kirk Cousins. I know he isn't the greatest, but he can read the field and go through progressions. Just pray not to have any night games. So Cav, it's an interesting idea, but to me, the quarterback situation is still pretty cut and dry. You take, if you're going to change from Justin Fields, you take Caleb Williams. There is no alternative in my eyes. If someone says Drake May or Justin Fields, that's a conversation we can have. But it's Caleb Williams or Justin Fields. That's the, that's the conversation for the Chicago Bears in 2024. Trying to get too cute, honestly, otherwise with trading down and J.J. McCarthy or Jaden Daniels or any of these other quarterbacks, Michael Penix, whatever your, your, you know, whatever your flavor might be, I'm not interested in that. We've got a potential top prospect in Caleb Williams or a quarterback who's proven he can do special things and is still pretty good with the football. So that's to me, you know, we can look at that and go, oh, you got Kirk Cousins and J.J. McCarthy can learn for a year or two and then you bring McCarthy along. And I, the pro, I, I'm not saying your process is bad. I understand the process. But to me, Justin Fields or Caleb Williams, I'm not considering other things. If somehow the Panthers slide to the number two pick, We'll have the conversation about Drake Mayer, Justin Fields. That changes it, obviously, a little bit. But other than that, I just I just don't see it, you know? That's it to me. Fields or Williams. That's the conversation. Now, Matt Brown wants to know, how much do you think financials affect what they do with Fields? And honestly, huge. It's a huge impact as to what they do with Justin Fields. You know, I, I see some fans on Twitter, oh, resetting the quarterback clock is, you know, is overrated. No. No, it isn't. Not when you're this far along in, in the process. So Justin Fields is wrapping up year three. Year four, again, he makes his rookie contract eight, nine million a year. Let's assume they're not going to pay him right away. They're going to use the fifth year option. That's going to jump him to 21, 22 million dollars, whatever it is. That's an affordable number for a quarterback, but it's still a big, big chunk of change. Then after that, they can franchise tag him and then use that time while he's exclusively tagged to negotiate a long-term deal. But again, uh, you know, his agent is a hard-nosed agent. His agent and Justin Fields are not going to sit down. Let's give the Bears a four-year, $80 million deal. It's plenty of money for me, and the Bears can still sign plenty of guys. That's that's not happening. 
nor should it happen. Justin Fields should get every penny he's earned. And Justin Fields right now, now again, you trade Justin Fields. Let's say you decide to take Caleb Williams. You trade Justin Fields to Atlanta. Now a franchise has given up on him. That massively changes unless he has a huge season, right? 35 total touchdowns, less than 10 turnovers, stops getting sacked, Pro Bowl, playoffs. If all that happens, then yeah, maybe Atlanta goes, oh yeah, we're paying this guy because we don't want to lose him. But if Justin Fields continues to play like he has the last few weeks in Atlanta next year, they'll, you know, fifth-year option and, and all that stuff. And then that extension becomes different because it's his second team. Maybe it's 25, 30, you know, Geno Smith, three years, 75 million. Maybe it's four years, 120 million, something like that. Like that changes significantly. But if it is your team, if, he, if, if the Chicago Bears go to, you know, Justin Fields and go, we want you to be our quarterback of our future, you got to pay for that. And I said before, $45 million. To me, that's the number. You got to pay, and maybe in a couple of years, maybe it's 50. You got to pay Justin Fields that much money. When you pay Justin Fields that much money, you can't, you know, without Justin Fields making that much money, you can pay Montez Sweat and Chris Jones and pay him $54 million between the two of them. And Justin Fields makes his $8 million or whatever. And you basically pay, you got a quarterback and two huge defensive linemen for $60 million. You pay Justin Fields $50 million, you don't have enough money for either of them. That's the situation you're in when you pay Justin Fields. So that comes into play. So when you have content creators, and I know I talked about this last week, you know, I'll just touch on it here. Content creators and fans go and become the Eagles, become the 49ers. In that case, guys, Justin Fields is Carson Wentz or Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not Jalen Hurts or Brock Purdy because you have to pay him. So you have to keep that in mind. That's the situation. Like Jalen Hurts got paid. Now that contract extension is kicking in next year. They are going to start bleeding players. They bled TJ Edwards. They bled an offensive lineman. That's going to keep happening because they can't pay all these guys because Jalen Hurts is making over $50 million a year. And when Brock Purdy's contract is up in a couple years, they're going to have to decide if Brock Purdy is worth $50 million a year. And if they decide to do that with Brock Purdy, then they're going to start bleeding talent. That's how this, this, how, how this whole you know, thing works. That's how it works. So this is not build the 49ers and the Eagles around Justin Fields. This is move on from Justin Fields so you can build the 49ers or Eagles. So keep that in mind. So financials with Justin Fields is a huge, huge piece of this conversation. So how about our, our, our guy uh, at Gridironborn, of course, part of two podcasts on the channel, Baron Balanced and bears over beers he is jeff burkus and he says why do you clearly hate justin fields so much with a you know winky sticking your tongue out emoji and i know jeff's just having fun with me but i'm just gonna go back to what i said at the beginning of the podcast and i know jeff's having fun but it is from my vantage point it's frustrating and for the most part you know you can call me names make fun of me you know whatever make fun of my teeth make fun of my weight make fun of my hairline i don't care i've heard it all i've been hearing it since i was 12 years old half the time doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I'm comfortable enough in my own skin. What bothers me is the attack of Bears fans at Bears fans about a differing in opinion about a player. Like, if someone says, I think Zach Pickens sucks, and another guy says, I think Zach Pickens is going to be pretty good, you don't start ripping each other's faces off over Zach Pickens, but we're doing it over Justin Fields. 
And I'm not coming at Justin Fields like, I hate this guy. I knew he was going to suck. The minute he was drafted, I tweeted out that I thought he was going to be the best quarterback in the last 70 years in the Chicago Bears history. And he still could be that. You know, it's borderline. You know, you'd probably take him over Jay Cutler right now, right? You know, that means you're getting a Jim McMahon territory. Now, again, he's got to be here more than three years for that to happen. But that's the kind of situation. That's what I believed in for Justin Fields. So because I'm sitting here going, well, they have the number one pick and that changes everything. And Bears fans are like, no, it doesn't. It changes nothing. Shut up. You hate Stop. Stop. We're all Bears. We want to enjoy this together. Enjoy this playoff push. Enjoy Justin Fields. And if Ryan Poles, King Poles doesn't. If I'm right and Ryan Poles decides to move on from Justin Fields, then is Ryan Poles a moron? Or did Ryan Poles, like I said, look at the business of the NFL and go, we have a really good prospect here. It makes sense to get a second round pick, two second round picks, maybe a first round pick, depending on how Fields finishes, for Justin Fields and moving on and taking Caleb Williams. So calm down. Let's see how this plays out. I'm not torching Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields. I've never wanted a quarterback to work out more in Chicago than Justin Fields. So let's just see what happens here before we all go crazy and, like I said, rip each other's faces off. So I am going to finish with that SE16 wall. He goes by Will. If the games follow the odds and the Bears beat Arizona and Atlanta but lose to Cleveland and Green Bay, leaving a 7-10, and 10, with Justin performing as he did against the Lions, 3.0 on the Hogue scale, so between starter and long-term QB. What would he predict happens with Flus, Fields, and Getze? So, at 7-10, and 10, I think everybody's gone. And it's crazy to talk about just how much one win could impact. Like I said, 9-8, and eight, throw everything out. 7-10, and 6-11, and 11, or 5-12, and 12, everyone's gone. I, I think that's the case. I wasn't certain about 7-10, and 10, but the way this is playing out, I feel like if they falter enough and lose to Cleveland, and you lose to Green Bay, again, that's, that's, that one, I know George McCaskey does not like that. You go 7-10, and 10, I think they're going to say not good enough, and they're going to move on. Now, you beat Cleveland and still lose to Green Bay, then you are at the cusp of, and everything. But if you lose to Cleveland, I, again, it's really, really gray. But you hear a lot of this talk about, well, if Fluce is back, everyone's back. If Fluce is gone, everyone's gone. It makes sense to a certain degree. I hate tying everyone together like that. I think you should evaluate everything separately. But right now... I think it is still a volatile situation, and I think it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. But I will say two and two in your situation where, because here's the thing about your situation, your, your scenario, I should say, not situation, scenario. Two and two, they beat Arizona. They're awful, one of the worst three teams in the NFL. They beat Atlanta, who's got some talent, but they have no quarterback. They're in a soft division. It's the only reason they're even with the record they have. They're really one of the bottom 10 teams in the NFL. So you beat bad football teams. So then you say, all right, what were the seven wins that this football team had? 
They beat Detroit. Good win. No question about it. Solid victory for the Chicago Bears. Playoff bound Detroit Lions. That's a nice win. It was at home. Wasn't on the road, but no, all credit there. Atlanta beat a bad team. Not that impressive. Arizona beat a bad team. Not that impressive. Beat Carolina. Worst team in the league. Complete dumpster fire by three points. Really not that impressive. The Raiders with, uh, you know, they hadn't fired McDaniels net. Another dumpster fire. The Raiders hated him. The players hated him. There are articles written with players' names attached to it about how much they disliked him. Dumpster fire. Not that impressive. Minnesota, up and down team, but no Justin Jefferson, no Kirk Cousin. Josh Dobbs turned into a pumpkin. Not that impressive. Washington, currently with the third pick in the draft. Not that impressive. Like, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at a Chicago Bears team that was a bum slayer. They beat a bunch of crappy teams because if you look at strength of schedule, they had one of the top five or six softest schedules in the league. They didn't take advantage of it. They could have won more games than they did. But in your scenario, they beat Detroit and then beat a bunch of below, you know, teams with losing records, basically. And some of the worst teams in the NFL. Like, there is a strong possibility that the Panthers, Washington, and Arizona will have three of the first four picks of the draft. And those are three of your seven wins. You literally beat three of the four worst teams in the league. And then you beat a Raiders team that is almost as bad as them, but had a, you know has, has won a couple fluky games. You can't get that excited about that 7-10. and 10. But you follow that up with beating Detroit and then beating Cleveland, who is a good team, even though they have some quarterback issues, or you beat Green Bay, who has shown some ability here, that changes things. It's not just your record, it's who you beat. And, and I think that's going to matter for Matt Eberflus and the Chicago Bears. So this has been a long podcast. I, I keep talking. There's so much to talk about with this team right now. I can't shut up. So if you've been sticking with me this long, I appreciate you. <laughs> Let me just take a minute in, in this crazy season that we have had and the developments with the Carolina Panthers in this one overall pick and the Matt Eberflus roller coaster and the Allen Williams firing and, and Tyson Bajit and this insane season that we've had. If you've been listening to this podcast all year, and I know we got a few weeks to go and it's not the New Year's yet, but thank you for your support throughout this entire season. It means more than you really can imagine. Like you, you sit there and go, this is just guys talking to a microphone and I like to listen to them on my ride into work or whatever. And, and that may be the case, but just know that the fact that you choose, you know, whether it's this podcast or the entire channel's podcast with, with Lester and Jeff and EJ and Taylor and, and, and Mason and Danny and, and the whole crew. Thank you for sticking with us throughout this crazy season. So, you know, as, as we wrap this up here at, at this lengthy, lengthy podcast, the Cleveland Browns game. And like I said earlier, I just have, for the first time all season, I have a really good feeling about this. I have a good feeling that this Browns defense is not playing very well. I have a good feeling that the Bears defense is playing great and they are going to be able to get to Joe Flacco and neutralize this offense. I think the Bears are going to win this one comfortably. I'm going Chicago Bears 23, Cleveland Browns 10. 
a nearly two-touchdown victory after a two-touchdown victory last week. I think this Bears team is going to be 8-8 eight eight going into the Packers game. Now, if you just ask me honestly, eh, I don't know if they're going to beat the Packers because they never do. But I'd love the opportunity to just see how this develops. So huge, huge, pivotal game of the season because I am. if they lose, I am entering full tank mode next week. I will be the commander of that thing, piloting it the rest of the way despite, you know, probably going to beat Arizona and Atlanta. I want to see losses because I want a better draft pick. Give me Malik Neighbors if they lose this game to Cleveland. But if they win, stir the marinara sauce, baby. We're all meatballs, and we are piloting this ship to the playoffs. Wild swing on this Cleveland game. We'll see if I'm right. Bear down, everybody. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you next week. Adios. <laughs>